All right, so we are uh, going to start this morning in the Gospel of John. So you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You've got four Gospels. And uh, we're starting in verse 1. We're going to make it through verse 5. Um, just a little bit about the author and about um, this specific Gospel that will help us along the way. Um, let me just tell you a little bit. So John was one of the disciples, okay? Uh, not only was he one of the disciples, he was one of what's referred to as the inner three, So there were 12 disciples, but there were three disciples who experienced some things that the others did not. For example, the transfiguration of Jesus. John was one of those three. Uh, He was one of the first four that were called to follow. Um, From the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Jesus will call Peter uh, and his brother Andrew, and then he calls James and his brother John, the sons of Zebedee, to come follow him. Uh, You may remember that passage as well. So John is one of the disciples, no debate about that. But there's something different about his gospel that sets it apart from the others that might be helpful for you. So um, by the time that John sits down to write this gospel, more than likely, the other three or most of the other three were already in circulation, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all of which do a really good job of, of telling the narrative chronological story of Christ here on earth, covering his birth to his death, resurrection, and ascension. So more than likely for that reason, John doesn't feel obligated to to, to maintain the same chronological timeline. His focus instead is more on spiritual matters. And so he will focus in a lot on patterns. For example, patterns of three. We know that at at the cross, Peter denied Jesus how many times? Three times, so John's gonna capture that. We know that at Peter's reinstatement, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? How many times? Three times. So John's going to capture that. We know that in Jesus' teaching and ministry, um, he he made some statements about himself, and he made seven statements, I am statements. And so John's going to capture those. So he's going to seem to focus on the spiritual matters, the patterns of three, patterns of seven. Uh, But what we're going to find from John is that he really has a broad audience he's writing to. He's going to write in such a way that those at the time he wrote it who may have been in more of a secular mindset would have been able to to follow along with what he was talking about. But he also wrote in such a way those who had a religious background, maybe you grew up Jewish, would also be able to follow along. Not only that, something beautiful about the Gospel of John is that it is fantastically evangelistic, meaning that there's this overarching purpose that we're going to see that John, as he writes this, he wants to lead you to faith in Jesus. But that's not his only aim, because we're going to find that those of us who've already taken that step of faith, we're going to be encouraged to grow in our faith in Christ. So really, this is a gospel for everyone. And so getting started, we're going to start with the first five verses today. We'll read them, and then we'll come back and we'll talk through them, starting in verse one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now we're going to find that these five verses not only lay a foundation for the entire gospel, but these five verses lay a foundation for our faith. 
for the Christian faith. So much of what we believe, what we just sang about, is built upon the theological principles that John just laid out. We're going to have to unpack it to get to the meaning of it. So there's this reoccurring label here, the word, that John refers to. Seems to be referring to a person, and he calls this person the word. The word was in the beginning. The word was with God. The word was God. And so in the Greek language, this word is logos. You may have heard that word. So John is using a specific word that we translate into word that means a whole lot more than just word. I know it's a lot, isn't it? So I'm going to try to just briefly unpack some of the meaning that's packed into and buried into this one simple word. So for example, this word logos that we translate word for the secular mindset of this day and time for the Greeks, it had rich philosophical, historical symbolism and and meaning. The word itself in a simple form uh, simply meant this. It, It comes from the root word lego. So logos from lego. And that word lego means to gather up. So the word logos was the idea of gathering up thoughts and then gathering up words and then speaking them. And so almost always, this word, word, was referring to more than just one word. Now here it's specifically referring to one person, but the word itself was full of meaning. For example, this word would be used to refer to things like a speech. Did you hear his word? Right, And, and, and what was meant by that was more than just one word. Did you hear all his words? Right, And we'll use this, sometimes you'll hear even modern day Christians use this reference. They'll say, hey, do you have a word to share? Well, the, they mean more than just one word, right? Have you, do you have a gathered set of thoughts that you want to speak out loud to us? Now, even the Jews had some rich symbolic uh, meaning behind this word logos. And so I'll just give you some examples. For example, um, oftentimes the Jews would refer to the Ten Commandments as the 10 words, right? So we we know that the 10 commandments contain more than 10 words, but what was meant by that are the the 10 precepts or the 10 laws. We also know from the book of Genesis that when God speaks and uses words, that things happen. Genesis chapter one, starting in verse one, we read that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. That's a vivid description of nothingness. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God did what? He spoke. He used words. What words did he use? He used the words, let there be light. Okay. Then what happened after that? And there was light. Right? So, so this idea of logos connected to God is a powerful thing. Like when God speaks, when he gathers thoughts together into words and speaks it out loud, things happen. Creation happens. Light happens. The book of Psalms, Psalm 33, 6 says this, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. What powerful imagery. Now, if you would have read this Old Testament verse in the Greek language, it would literally read, by the logos of the Lord, the heavens were made. 
He spoke it and it happened. The book of Hebrews talks about the power of the word, referring to God. This is chapter four, starting in verse 12. For the word or the logos of God is living and active. Listen to this description. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, the joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. My words can't do that, can yours? Only the word of the Lord can do that. Verse 13, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So John is gonna introduce us to this seemingly main character of his story who he refers to as the Logos, the word. And what do we know about the Logos so far? We know that the Logos, the word, was in the beginning. We know that the Logos was with God, and we know that the Logos was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now look at John 1.3 with me. John makes this bold proclamation about the Logos. He says, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So he, he wants to make it clear. This Logos, whoever the Logos is, didn't help God create some stuff. This Logos created everything and not anything that was made was made without him. The Logos created all things. Now, this is a powerful thing to try to wrap your mind around. If you go back to the beginning with your imagination and try to imagine the nothingness that Genesis 1 describes, the darkness, with words, God speaks and creates, and nothing becomes something. Mind blown, right? Like, give me something, and I can make something with it. But give me nothing, and I can't make anything. Right? This idea that God speaks into nothingness, and nothing becomes something is amazing. But listen, that's not even, that's just step one. Then what happens is God speaks, and something becomes alive. Try to, try to wrap your mind around that. A being so powerful that when he speaks, nothing becomes something and something becomes alive. I love the way Genesis 2 captures this in the creation of Adam. Listen to verse seven. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So God did more than just pick up elements from the periodic table and pull them together to form life. He formed Adam, and then he, what? he gave Adam life. He took nothing, he made something, and then he made something become alive. And John wants us to know this is the Logos. This is the word who has done this. Now, when we think about all of creation, then that means that this logos has created and been involved in everything that is. Whatever kind of materials came together to make the carpet on the floor in here, those originated in the logos. The stones on the wall are real stones, and they came out of the earth and were at one time probably covered with dirt, maybe even water, and Wherever those rocks find their beginning, you find the logos. The chairs, the water, 
the sky, the stars, gravity, all finds its origin in the Lagos, right? Nothing that was made was made without him. When we think about this on a personal level, though, it gets even more amazing for me because then we have to understand that you and I are not merely rocks on a wall. We are beings, and that's different. You're a being. You have a yesterday, and most of you can remember it, right? The rocks were here yesterday, but they can't remember it. God willing, you'll have a tomorrow, and you've already started thinking about it. You are aware that you are, that makes you a different kind of creation, right? You're a being. Now think about it. The miraculous, I don't even have the big enough words to use, spectacular, mind-blowing details that went into your being. Your being, specifically you. Like at conception, at the right moment, you weren't, and then you were. At a level so microscopic, we couldn't see it with our, with our eyes. One moment you weren't, and then you were, from our perspective, right? If it had been a year later, you'd be a different you. You'd be a different being, potentially. You see how the, the Logos was intimately involved in creating, like, you, your facial hair or lack thereof, your hair color before you cut it colored, your personality, your body shape, your size, the time you live, your parents, your children, your, your siblings, like all of that that makes up your being was done by the Logos, not by chance, not by a chaotic universe just blowing up and, right, spontaneously becoming stuff. John says, no, 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 no. All that was created, including your being and your life, is found in the Logos, in the Word. I love how Paul speaks about this to a very secular audience. In the book of Acts, chapter 17, he's, he's walking through a temple, and he sees altars to various gods. You may be familiar with this story. And then he notices an altar that says, quite simply, altar to an unknown god. And so the Apostle Paul says, what a perfect chance to tell you about the one true God. And so he stops to tell the audience there about who this God is that they label as unknown. This is in Acts 7. Listen to this. Chapter 17 of Acts, verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Why? Because he made the stuff that the temples were made out of. Nor is he served by human hands. Why? Because he made your human hands and then he gave you life so you can move them. As though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. 26, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. This is the Logos doing this. That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. 
for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. And so whoever John is referring to as the Logos did all that. Now verse four is gonna begin to speak about something that the Logos is going to do. Verse four, in him was life and the life was the light of men. A very simple phrase. And I believe that John now is, 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 is going symbolic or metaphoric as he begins to describe life and light. Like I think he's already covered the ground where we were created and life was given. Now he's talking about a different kind of life. And he's talking about a different kind of light, not just the sun and the sky, but a different kind of light. And we'll see this play out all through his gospel. But if you think about it from a Jewish mindset, the idea of life and light were closely related to what? The law, right? Life was found from the Jewish mindset from obeying the law. Disobeying the law led to what? Death. Obeying it led to life. The law was referred to as a light. In what way? It is a lamp unto our feet. Okay, you have the coffee mug, right? This, this law of God, these precepts of God, they shine before us. They show us where to put our feet in order to live in a way that honors God and leads to life. It leads to joy. The problem is, though, nobody in the Old Testament could live by the law, so they were unable to find life and light in their own strength. Think about that. Now John is speaking about a new source from which you can find life and light. Who is it? The Logos. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse five. All this is building up to verse five. Talking about the Logos, the Logos is the light. Verse five says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it or some translations comprehend it. Both have, both have meaning and value there. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome. So who is this Logos that John is writing about? Who is this one that was in the beginning, who was with God and was also God, through whom all things were created, through whom all things that are alive have life? Who is this Logos that has come to be light in the midst of darkness and to overcome? The book of Colossians chapter one, verse 16, talking about Jesus specifically says this, for by him, Jesus, all things were created. We could just kind of stop there, can't we? we? Spoiler alert, we know who the Logos is. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Hold on to that phrase because we're going to come back to it. Through him and for him. 
The book of Hebrews says this, chapter one, verse two, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, that's Jesus, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So this reference from John, talking about Jesus being in the beginning and creating all things is not a a one-off verse. It's all throughout the New Testament. Now, let's be honest, we don't often associate Jesus with creation. And what we're gonna see today, to detach Jesus from creation is in some way to detach Jesus from deity. Okay, John wants us to understand clearly who he's gonna be writing about. This Jesus, born in Bethlehem, right, from Nazareth, this this religious leader is no ordinary man. He's the Lagos. He was with God and he is God. Jesus says himself in John 9, chapter five, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. He's describing his mission here on earth. And so what John says in verse five, that that this light shines in the darkness, he's describing Jesus stepping from his throne of glory into our world of darkness and shining like a light. Even before the cross, he is a light shining in the darkness. 1 Corinthians chapter eight, verse six says this. Yet for us, there is one God. So I want you to just think about that for a minute. There is one God, because now it's getting confusing. I'm reading about this Logos that was with God in the beginning, who was also God. And now I'm reading Paul saying, listen, there is, for us, there is only one God. Well, who is God? He says, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. Okay, so that puts the Father at creation. But what about the Son? What about the Logos? He keeps on. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, and then he uses the same phrase, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Well, which one was it? Yeah, it's both. See, this Trinitarian view of God is the bedrock of understanding the Bible, of understanding the gospel. It is the bedrock of our faith. It is the bedrock of our existence. John says, before he tells us any more about Jesus, you need to understand he was in the beginning because he is God. I thought the Father was God. He is God. But wait, when I read Genesis 1, it tells me that the Spirit of God was there hovering over the darkness. Yeah, he's God too. One God, three persons. And if that is baffling your mind right now, first of all, you're not alone. Everybody else in the room is baffled as well, and those who aren't should be. Because what we're literally trying to do is trying to comprehend the being of God. One God, three persons. And our small brains, single-mindedness, little beings can't fully comprehend the fullness of who God is. We can't even comprehend what he does. How did he take nothing and make it into something and make something become alive? We can't even get our minds wrapped around what he does, let alone who he is. One God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. 
This is consistent all throughout the Bible. Genesis chapter one. Let us make man in our image. And then it's repeated. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't like the author made a a pronoun mistake. It was intentional. Let us. Who's us? The Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. You mean Jesus was there too? Yeah. So we've established that everything was created through him, but I want to come back to that phrase that Paul mentions in Colossians. All things were created through him. Now listen to this. And for him. This is where we start to make a detachment in our Christian walk. I was created by him for me. Right? By him to pursue my ambitions. By him to accomplish my purposes, my mission. Right? To attain my things on earth. That's not what the word says. If you were created by him, you were also created for him. That means... Not only is your existence, your being, not a mistake, exactly how you are, who you are right now in this time, this moment, in that seat, but you're sitting in that seat for him. And it's not until we get to that mindset, right, that that we're fully walking with Christ. As long as you're stuck in that dilemma of I'm created by him for me, You're going to struggle. You're going to struggle anyway, but you're really going to struggle. You're going to continually hit the roadblock of your your own abilities, your own strength, your own comprehension. You're going to say, why isn't this happening? Why can't I be more successful? Why isn't this relationship working? Quite simply, because you're living for you. I know it's a very simple statement, but that's huge, isn't it? You were not only created by him. Listen, you were created for him. That's why you're here right now. And I don't mean church on Sunday. I mean 2020 here on earth. That's why you exist. It's your being. It is for him. Now what I want to do is, spoiler alert, we're going to jump to the end of the gospel real quick. Okay? The gospel of John chapter 20, and we're going to actually read these two verses quite often in this series because it tells us why John is actually writing. So chapter 20, starting in verse 30, John doesn't want us guessing. He wants us to know, here's why I sat down and wrote these words. Verse 30, John 20, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples right? He's, he's qualifying. I didn't capture everything. More than likely, he's thinking Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they've already captured a bunch of that stuff. Either way, I didn't capture everything, right? Which are not written in this book. Verse 31, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This Logos who has been a light shining in the darkness. This Logos who has come to earth to bring another way to find life. I'm writing this so you will believe in him and not just believe that he's real, but believe that he's God. He's the son of God. And that by believing in him, you may find eternal life.
Jesus came to the earth to bring light into our darkness. And in the end, even though it appeared that the darkness would win for a brief moment, on the third day, the light triumphed over darkness and Jesus defeated death. The darkness did not overcome it. Praise God. Here's where I want to land today. Um, I don't know all that God has planned for you in 2020, but I believe he has plans for you. I believe your being is intentional. It's not random. But for all the things that you may have planned or God has planned for your life, I think first and foremost, what God wants of you is that you would live this year understanding that you were created by him and for him. And everything else is secondary to that. Your role as a mom, a dad, a husband, a wife, a child, a friend, an employee, all, everything else is secondary to you were created by him and for him, okay? And so my, my prayer for you is that starting right now, today, as we take this journey through the gospel of John, that you would, re- take, you would consider renewing, okay? I can't make you do this, but I would encourage you to consider just renewing your commitment to the Logos, to the Son of God, to Jesus who is your creator, recognizing that in him you have your being, And if you're here today and you have not come to the place that you've taken that step of faith to trust in Jesus for the first time, I echo what John just said. I want you to believe that Jesus is the son of God and that by believing in him, you would have eternal life. That's what I want for you. That's what our elders want for you. That's what our staff wants for you. That's what this church wants for you. You're not gonna find hope in New Year's resolutions. Go make them, but that's not where you're gonna find hope. Your hope is found in seeing your being, your existence is rooted in Christ. You were made by him and you were made for him. So I'm gonna pray now that that God would work in our midst this morning. Maybe he's speaking to you in a specific way that you would respond. I'm gonna pray that God would walk with us on this journey through the gospel of John and use it to transform our hearts and thereby transform this church. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the power of your word. God, your word. God, your word is beautiful. It's more precious than anything else we could ever discover here on earth. It is more life-giving than any accomplishments we could accomplish. God, your word truly is a lamp unto our feet, and your word leads us to Jesus. And so, Father, this morning, we want to, with one heart and with one mind as a church, we want to renew, Father, our commitment to the Logos. God, we pray that you truly, not in just a superficial, uh, cliche kind of way, but truly you would take 2020 and, and use it for our good and your glory. That, Father, we use this year all of the challenges that we will face, all the victories that we will experience, you'll use it all, God in a way that causes us to see our lives, not just created by you, but created for you. And oh dear God, we pray any person here today who does not know the hope we have in Jesus, that today would be that day. That day to take a step of faith and believe that Jesus truly is the son of God. Your word tells us that by believing, we will have eternal life. So Father, we pray now your Holy Spirit would move through our hearts, move through this room as we respond, and we pray it all in the powerful and precious name of Jesus.